welcome to Zombie Fishbowl, a podcast about random shit. I'm Danielle, I'm talking to you from the UK. And I'm Melanie in sunny California. Um, thank you for coming to listen to us again. Episode number, what are we up to now? Four. Four. It's going really well. So we launched last week and people are being very positive and nice and people are joining the Facebook page and commenting when they can, when they've had a listen. Uh, They're downloading us on Podbean and Spotify currently and we are pending for the second time on iTunes. We've had a little bit of a redesign and a rejig of our logo. Thanks again to Mikey. And hopefully we'll be available on iTunes by the time this is going out. So fingers crossed. Thank you guys all so much for the support. It's awesome. I can't wait to see where this thing goes and how big how big we can get. <laughs> Melanie's got big dreams. Big dreams. She wants to buy that yacht. I will own this world. All of it. <laughs> the whole world. I just want to pay off my credit cards. Yeah, that'd be great, too. I'd like a house at some point. That'd be fantastic. (laughs) If only we, we, you know, if there was any mild possibility that this podcast would make any money whatsoever, I'm already spending it in my head. (laughs) So most of it goes into the the red zone. And then it's like, "Mm, but I could always go out and get some cider. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be able to go out to, to go see a movie every once in a while. It'd be exciting. Oh, I get to see movies, but that's because I don't have any spawn. You don't have children. No. I have no life. <laughs> this is my life, but I like it. There we go. Yes. yes. I like my life, too, with my cats, and you can leave them alone for, yes. like, 12 hours, and everything's fine. Yeah, they just look at you like, you're back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you were gone, weren't you? Pleasant. Mm-hmm. Right. So first things first, we'll just do a little bit of housekeeping. So um, I kind of just am a little bit embarrassed by a couple of things from the Battlefields episode. So I've had a little bit of feedback from someone who um, told me that it's pronounced Culloden, the Battle of Culloden Moor, not Culloden, my American <laughs> so, um, twang to it. I do it with everything. There's a river that I've been trying to say the name of many, many times because it's relevant to my internship. And I keep saying it like American style and saying colder, colder. And it's colder, colder. And I keep getting corrected. Colder, not calder, colder. Sorry, I'm very half and half. And I pronounce my A's very um, hard. American. So it's and O's, I guess. O's and A's. So it's Culloden, Culloden Moor. There, there's a correction number one and correction number two. The English civil wars were very much political. So anyone that is sitting there thinking that she's an idiot and doesn't understand the whole concept of the English civil wars, I do. It's just when you're rambling on and you're trying to get facts out, you kind of say things that you wish that you'd fact check before they came out of your mouth. But yes, the civil wars in the UK, in England, you know, were, yeah were very much political as well as religious wars. There, that's my housekeeping. Have you got any? I don't. I mean, our first episode, yeah, we were still getting the hang of it. It was so intimidating. And, yeah. you know, my, my factoids are probably a little bit bust. But, you know, it it is what it is. We move on. And I feel like we're learning every time. Don't judge us. Keep listening. We get better. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. Yes. Well, Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's, about as, that's about as close as I get to saying something nice about myself. Yes. yes. <laughs> Just, right. Okay. So this week's topic is omens. Omens. Um, so Melanie, what's an omen? The definition of an omen is an event regarded as important of good or evil. Phenomenon believed to foretell the future in one way or the other. That's that's really as far as definition wise. Uh, when you look into it, the the line between superstition and omen is very very close, frustratingly so. Yes. The real difference that I saw was that superstitions are more like blind blind faith in implied events and less about seeing a thing and then um, having an, a, a a reaction to it. Like the the yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> I think I was. <laughs> The way that I, I took that what I took away from it was that people that see signs and 
interpret that as a sign of, of things to come, do not necessarily believe that they can change it. So they don't really have the sort of concept of free will when it comes to that. So they definitely believe in fate. So if they see a sign, they know that something bad or good is going to happen and there's not necessarily something that they can do about it. Although, as I will get into later, there are cultures that that do interfere with between the sign and the um, event that is yet to come in order to, to skew the results but then people in superstitions they tend to have a little bit of control over it because they can make changes to whatever it is that's happening in order to make it not bad luck anymore or to make it good luck so it's very very subtle but essentially a sign is fate and superstitions involve a little bit of free will in there is what I got from it a lot of the times, some of the things that I've got are superstitions, but they very much fall into the omens category because they're seeing a sign or seeing something that foretells something of the future, like you said in your definition. Yeah. Um, and there's also some things that I thought were just superstitions that didn't fit the category of seeing a sign, seeing something or experiencing something. You could smell something or taste something or hear something as well. But there were a few things that I didn't think fell into that category but then found out there's actually more to the superstition than we know that we actually practice now. So we only hear like the second part of it, which is it's bad luck to dot, dot, dot. But actually it comes from an older superstition, which has more to it, which involves a sign. So I've got a couple of them that I can bring up. So hopefully we don't cross over too much. So do you want to go into some of your your information okay well one that that comes up a lot in my work uh weirdly enough because i work with i work with crystals and i work with um you know incense and sage and and i've got a very kind of metaphysical shop and we also sell lots of other random stuff Mm -hmm. and sculptures and um one of the most popular images that we get are owls Mm. i always thought in my mind, I always had it in my mind that owls were were great luck, were signs of wisdom, were, you know, a, not only a beautiful animal, but also like a great sign of something wonderful. And Unless you're David Lynch. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently in Africa, in the Middle East, and a lot of Native American tribes, a lot, probably most with the exception of, I believe, the Hopi, it is a bringer of death or yeah. bad luck so and the uh, mexicans as well mexico as well oh really yeah yeah it's nutty to me because well, um the owner of my store before he ran the store that i'm currently working in he ran a <clears throat> native american shop and lots of beautiful uh jewelry made by uh navajo artists my uh hopi zuni many beautiful tribes a lot of beautiful works and i believe it was a hopi uh artist or somebody gifted him it was like an owl feather or or some sort of owl thing and it was made of real owl and one of his co-workers who i don't remember what tribe he was from this is all a story that he told me a while ago saw the owl feather and freaked out he he would not enter the store unless that was removed and i, I thought i was like what but apparently no he was he was genuinely down to his bones really really uncomfortable about being anywhere near it Mm. Um, i guess it's believed that they are if not the spirits of the dead but like uh they carry the spirits to the next place Mm. i know that in mexican culture there's a saying and i'm not going to try to um say it in spanish because i'm i would just murder it but um roughly translated it means when the owl cries the indian dies so in Mexican culture as well, they they think that somebody dies every time you hear the the what would you call the like the call of the owl, the cry of the owl. So that's yeah. somebody dying. So very much very very similar idea that they're not they're either the harbingers or the bringers of death or they signal death in some way or they're carrying the dead. But yeah, apparently when you hear a, an owl cry out, somebody's died. Well, I, and I was think I kind of heard something, read something similar, and I was like, but I hear owls all the time, and I'm, I'm, you know, <laughs> pagan. I, I will die I, all the time. <laughs> yeah, I just keep dying. I'm, I'm like Prometheus. 
one of the things it said specifically is if an owl is above you, like in a tree above you, and it hoots or calls, that's when you're you're going to be experiencing death in your family or in your life, mm. something like that. I'm all good. Can, can we get a little bit more specific? I like believing in this kind of stuff, but I was like, nah, bummer. Yeah, too vague, too vague. Yeah. I mean, if you are already a little bit paranoid and then you start hearing an owl crying and then you see one swoop at you, you're probably going to take it to be a bad sign. Oh, especially like 200 years ago or something. If you're having a bad day and an owl hoots at you, you're like, oh, God. <laughs> no, it's just how it tip me over. Ho- an owl hooted at me. I'm just going to go home and die. <laughs> I'm not surviving this night. God damn it. Covered in mud. Everything's in black and white. My leg is all black and rotting. Ah, fucking owls. Athena, if you're listening, I do love owls. I'm not actually intending. I'm, I'm not meaning any uh, ill will. I love owls. Well, I've got two owl tattoos, so mm-hmm. they're one of my favorite animals. I am surrounded by owls. I don't think there's any behind me, but they're all in front of me because I study at this table. So I've got my owls of wisdom sitting on you know, piles of books and things like that. And I've got two Picasso sketches of a fat owl and a thin owl on my ankles. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, I would try to cover them up with uh, if I was around certain tribal members. Yes. Well, and another interesting thing, I was looking at, you know, all the, the animals as omens, particularly owls, for, for a hot minute. I just kind of got stuck there. But there's this, uh, it's not so much like a tribe, but there's almost like the aboriginals of Japan. And they have this really neat story. And again, it's not so much an omen, but it's just kind of a cool little story about uh, this owl god of theirs. Because okay. they're, they're animists. So most of Japan, they're, they're more in the Buddhist sort of philosophy. They're not particularly animists, which are, are, you know, we have animals as gods, animals as deities, which is what this tribe did. They're called the Ainu of Japan on the island of Hokkaido. They consider their island to be the owl capital of the world because even though it's quite small, there are 12 indigenous species of owls that live there. In one of their stories, it was believed there was this massive famine and, you know, people were dying. They had no food. They There was drought. There was no water. And so this god, Chikap Kamuai, I'm probably mangling it. It's an <laughs> owl god. Uh, saw humankind starving and tried to send a message to heaven to ask why. So he went to one bird. He went to first he went to the crow and he was like, look, I have this message. Please deliver this to heaven. Figure out what's what's going on. So he's taking days just to tell the crow this message. He's a slow talker. owl. And after three days of just just rambling out this message, crow falls asleep before, you know, uh, the owl can finish. And I was pissed. So he kills him. <laughs> he goes to another a bird, a mountain jay. And he's like, okay, I need you to deliver this message. And he blah, 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 blah. Four days in, the mountain jay falls asleep. The owl's pissed. He kills him. So he goes to a dipper bird. And the dipper bird, with great reference and respect, listened to the whole thing for six straight days, took the message to heaven, came back and told him, uh, told the owl that the main reason these people were suffering was because they weren't showing respect to their, their kills anymore. So... <clears throat> or respect to the gifts that these animals were giving their mm-hmm. their lives for their food. So the owl went back to the humans and taught them all the rituals for proper respect for their dead. And upon practicing these rituals, the famine ended and they were able to live with great abundance of food and water. Yeah. The consequences for not following the animist religion, basically. Well, yeah. You know, belief system. Yeah, animist animalism is is fantastic um, mm-hmm. uh, belief system. The whole sort of interchange between nature and and people and how we are just another animal on this planet where there's nothing particularly special about us. And also, I really love in animalism where you can kind of go in, you can have deities or just like animal gods that are kind of half human. Mm-hmm. So you have like sort of like half polar bear, half person. And yeah. you know the that you know the the animal um, spirits can like fuck with the humans and also do nice things for the humans. So obviously owl was on the side of the humans and wanted to do something nice, but there's others that are like tricksters. Like I think crows are like trickster gods in a lot of these. Um, oh yeah. 
um, belief systems because obviously like the actual crows themselves they steal shit and they are they are tricksters mm-hmm. in real life so yeah I, I, I've enjoyed learning about um, sort of animalist belief systems in my own studies and I was glad to hear that you were doing a story for one that I haven't heard so <laughs> well I'm, like I said I'm gonna throw that again I'm pagan I love I love uh why am I forgetting the word Folklore? Uh, well, go, I love folklore. I'm a goober for folklore and mythology, but I love um, uh, having multiple deities. Uh, polytheists. Mm-hmm. I, I love polytheism. I'm, I'm a, I love it. It feels good to me. And I know that logically there's not a whole lot of uh, solid ground to stand on with that. But when it comes to like faith and stuff like that, I feel like uh, do what feels right. Do what makes yeah. you happy. Yeah. And and if it makes me feel happy to believe in in the fae folk and and in multiple deities and an owl god, I'm gonna freaking do it. I love it. My yeah. my heart feels better for it. I feel like you know there would be delegation. You know, there's a lot of shit to sort out. So mm-hmm. you know, have a different deity in in charge of all the different shit so that nobody gets overwhelmed and things get forgotten. <laughs> That's a lot maybe, of work maybe. for one guy. Yeah, well, maybe that's why the world's so fucked up right now. If there is only one deity and he's just like, there's too many of you. Stop having sex. (laughs) All right. I have one more omen that I really want to bring up. And and then I'm going to let you have it. As far as you giving me stuff. All right. One that I found that I really, really dug with feathered death crowns. Yeah. Okay. Did you you hear about that? Oh, they're fun. Okay, so feather death crowns in the Appalachians, in the Appalachia, you know, people were very, uh, they were very far apart. Everybody's many, many years ago, so everyone is sleeping on feather pillows. And when somebody got sick, it was really important to sort of check their pillow for a hard lump. And if somebody was sick and you found a hard lump in their pillow, you cut open their pillow and you'd look for a feather death crown. And that's basically where all of the, or a bundle of feathers form in a tight ring with all the quills facing inward. Okay. Um, it's believed that if you're ill and you find a feather death crown, you're going to die within three days unless you break it up. And on one hand, that's, that was neat because you felt like control over, over death with that. But at the same time, it was believed that if somebody passed and you found a death crown in their pillow, it was a sign that they had gone to heaven. Ah. Uh. So if you break up a feather death crown and that person still dies, you it's kind of like taking their ticket to heaven away. Oh dear. Yeah, I really dug that one. I thought that one was cool. And there's this um apparently this really big collection of feather death crowns in a museum in Tennessee, museum about Appalachia, um and they have the biggest collection of death crowns because people kept them and they would pass them around, pass them down generation to generation. That completely sort of debunks my idea of superstitions versus omens is like free will versus fate because that's clearly a a belief that is rooted in the fate of the person Mm -hmm. but there is free will involved you can break up the crown but you might not be able to interrupt fate and if you do interrupt fate by breaking it up that person might not go to their heaven so exercise your free will to your well you know be warned that with you're, caution yeah because it might not work out quite the way that you are hoping mm-hmm. you might save the life but damn the soul exactly exactly yeah. and of course you know most likely breaking up the death crown if that person's really sick in the appalachians you know like a hundred or so years ago they're probably still gonna die <laughs> <laughs> well i mean you know you, you've got a gamble, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> I would hope that you would break up my death crown if you saw one and I was still kind of alive. I'd be like, no, 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 help me. <laughs> I've still got shit to do. No, got stuff to do. <laughs> no one's done the dishes. <laughs> I'm going to do the dishes. Uh-huh. Well, that's nice in a way. I mean, it's nice to hear. I wouldn't want to live it. No. I sat there with that decision. So, nor would I want to live in the Appalachians, you know, uh, hundreds of years ago. No, I don't know. No, thank you. 
I'll pay her. Actually, no, I definitely wouldn't. Oh, we forgot to do the purge today. Um, um But if we had had the purge, <laughs> but I would be moaning about my horse fly bite. I'm going to show Melanie right now because it's sick. Look at that. Oh, I'm sorry. Ugh, look how gross and infected it is. And it's oh, all swollen. swollen. It's, it's gross. So <laughs> I've got one on the back of my neck as well. And I've got one on the palm of my hand. Jesus. Because <laughs> I went flies. <laughs> well, I, I made the mistake of going out into nature yesterday. So, you know, I went to go see a... A prehistoric archaeological site and got bit by three horseflies and I'm not doing too well today. I've got but I've got my my bag from the pharmacy. <laughs> and I've got and hydrocortisone, so I'll be fine. Yeah. Anyway. And if I were to purge, you know what I would purge about? What would you purge about? Earthquakes. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Is I, that why all your DVDs on the top shelf are crooked? Yes. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm lazy. <laughs> um, but to the terrifying Danielle, they're so big. This was the biggest earthquake we've had in over 20 years. Yeah, I think um, I was telling someone the last time it went over 6.2 or something like that was the actual Northridge earthquake, which was mm-hmm. a 6.7. So what, what did you guys get up to with the second one? 7.1. Oh, my gosh. So it's taken over the Northridge. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't go and look up the 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 you know the the point system for the second earthquake because yeah. I kind of assumed it would be less. Well, thankfully, it's it's 110, 115 miles away from us. But oh man, ever since Northridge earthquakes just scare the shit out of me. I I go into straight panic mode, but because I have kids, I can't look like I'm shitting myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm all like, it's okay, it's okay, just come into the door jam, and I'm just like, oh. that's what you realize all adults are like yeah (laughs) you realize that now like when you were a child and you thought grown-ups have it all worked out no they don't they just have learned how to panic inside yeah oh my god (laughs) i was i was like visually shaking like visibly shaking for uh too long and the the water in the fish tank was like slushing up the sides and all oh my god i hate it i hate them i hate them it's okay, Melanie. I was going to say they're gone now, but they're not. <laughs> well, the first one was like a 6.4, and yeah. they're saying we may have one worse. So I'm hoping that yesterday's was the one that's worse, and then everything's like smaller aftershocks from there. Well, I mean, I don't want to terrify you or anything, but even before I left, they were saying that um, California is due a massive earthquake, like destructoid. Like, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. You've already prophesied one thing that I hate and I will never forgive you for. You will stop it. (laughs) I can read the auspices. Yes. Yes. So that's why I was able to prophesize your... um, From the birds. From the birds. Because I can read the auspices. So... (laughs) The reason why Melanie is laughing is because um, reading the auspices is a is like a <laughs> it's a the Roman origin of omen reading. So I am in my research. I sort of looked at the the background of um, uh, well the history of reading and interpreting omens. And obviously, I had to go to ancient Rome. Yeah. Um, so the augurs were people who were able to interpret the flight of birds to ascertain the will of the gods in response to specific questions. So I just imagine them standing outside of a temple going, who's going to win the World Cup? And then the uh, birds will fly in a particular way and they would be able to read it. So it's really, really complicated. So, uh, for example, a bird sign on the left was usually favourable, so auspicious, this is see i'm gonna give you some root of words as well so and then on the right was unfavorable inauspicious but the combination of a raven on the right and a crow on the left was favorable and so on so it was really really complicated and you had to go to a special auger school to learn how to be an (laughs) auger 
<laughs> in order to be able to study the behavior of these birds. But you also were able to interpret sacred chickens. Yay! And they would be consulted before important decisions like senatorial meetings, passages of land from one person to the other, or a battle. How, and how does one consult were, a sacred chicken? Um, well, the auger would consult the sacred chicken. <laughs> <laughs> so the auger was in charge of all that jazz yeah. so you would go to the auger and the auger would read the auspices which would be the the way the the, the domesticated chickens that would behave and yeah. then that auger would tell whoever was asking him to read them what the divine consultations were and that was called taking the auspices. So it was like a phrase, like a, maybe a general would go, like, I'm going to go take the auspices, which meant that they were going to go and consult the augurs before making a decision in battle or yeah. maybe making a political decision or something like that. And it's really funny because um, any battle that was fought, it, it's, sorry, let me back up a, a second. So to take the auspices, you had to be quite high ranking. You couldn't be just any any Joe, Dick or Sally yeah. from the street, you had to be quite high ranking. It's usually senators or emperors and commanders of armies and things like that. And you would talk to the auger and they would tell you what the um, the auspices say. So the auger is the person, the auspices are the signs. Yeah. So the auspices is kind of like the word omen, I suppose. But it comes from the Latin avis, which means bird, and sphere, which means to look. Okay. So to look at the birds is the ultimate to go look at birds. And before any kind of battle or war or whatever, the commander would go take his auspices, go take the auspices. And therefore, any battle that was fought in that war, that he would take credit for because he was the one that took the auspices. So mm -hmm. they were all going to win or lose under his auspices. Yeah. So it was all sort of a fate. He would go to hear the predictions, take part in the rituals, do whatever the um the augury which is the plural of the augur yeah augury <laughs> whatever they said uh, so it didn't even matter if uh, any low ranking um individual gained a victory it was under the commander's auspices that that was done so therefore that's why you get these generals and stuff like that that take all the credit for all the victories and you get these famous generals it's because they are solely responsible for every battle that is fought and won because it's their auspices, it's their fate, not yeah. the fate of anybody else's. Yeah. Under the, I'm not sure if they were under the augury, augury or um, parallel to, but there's also the haruspices. And haruspices are people that didn't just do birds <laughs> they were specifically people that um read the signs of sacrificed animals oh yeah 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 like in the guts and the, the yeah guts. so you would go to the horospices if you were going to um sacrifice an animal and they would you know do their ritual and pull it open and all that stuff and in particular they would examine the liver the lung and yeah. the entrails yeah and the liver was probably the most important of the bodily body organs. Liver, that was liver at. told you a lot as a as a witch or or anybody who read the guts. Yeah, liver and and heart and length of intestines were really. Funnily enough, heart didn't come into it. It was all liver for this huh. for omen research. Anyway, I'm sure if I went really deep into the horospices, they probably did do um, hearts as well. But it seemed it was liver, lung, and entrails what they were particularly interested in um, with the liver they would check that the liver was healthy and blood red if it was healthy and blood red it was a good sign so the hospices would say oh man good um, if it was pale and not bloody that was a bad sign very very pale bloodless livers were a bad omen huh. so the side note here that is this is probably the origin of the belief that cowards livers contain no blood which is where we get the term lily livered lily livered yeah 
So if you've got a pale liver, your liver doesn't have blood in it and you're a coward, it's quite a few steps to it, but that's kind of how language works. So you've got a pale bloodless. Thank you. Thank you, Melanie, for supporting me. <laughs> Love it. So basically, yeah, you, you've got a pale bloodless liver. You're a coward and therefore the term lily livered and i didn't i never really wore, thought about the lily part of lily livered i was just thought it was a full alliteration but yeah. literally saying your liver is the color of a lily which yeah. is that pale white color so there you go nice um, I love it. <laughs> okay so a little bit more about sort of the roman bit of it and i'm going to speak some latin soon so look forward to that Woo. <laughs> my favorite phrase in the entire latin language i'm gonna get to say on this podcast i'm so excited spoilers right so <laughs> other omens come in the form of prodigies but that's not how we think of the term prodigy they would this is before we start thinking about gifted children the term prodigy were to refer to unnatural unnatural or unusual phenomena such as meteor showers, yeah. the birth of a hermaphrodite, or blood rain. All of these omens signify that gods have been angered. Yeah. So if apparently, I think it's kind of fucked up, but if you had um, gave birth to a hermaphrodite, you'd piss the gods off. Um, yeah. Or if there was a meteor shower or this thing called blood rain, which um, I didn't go into because um, that was just i didn't bother <laughs> so the meaning and importance of any reported prodigies were often debated in the senate in the roman senate with the advice of the augury so i just imagine all the senators going in um like oh no um did you hear that that that, that, that there's that old beryl had had a hermaphrodite baby we must we must discuss what's going on and all the auguries fussing around i kind of imagine it like the dark crystal yeah 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 I'm going, oh, it's bad. Like, like with their little fingers and being creepy. Yeah. So, all these by stone. Yeah. It's really, it's, oh gosh. I imagine that's, you know, not accurate at all, but the, in my head, that's how it went. And there's like lightning cracking in the background. Like, what are we going to yeah. do? Ancient um, Greeks are now Skeksis in my mind. Uh, Romans. Romans, sorry, pardon me. Okay. Ancient Romans are Skeksis yeah. now in my mind. I'm sure that the Greeks did uh, do very similar things, but the tales that I am presenting and the words that I'm using are from the Roman. So yeah. I don't want to piss any Roman Greek enthusiasts off. The Romans most definitely ripped a lot of this off from the Greeks, but like I said, the terminologies and stuff I'm using are Roman. Anyway, so these threatening signs would then be officially atoned for by the augury and the and the people in you know like people who could um to soothe the god with appropriate sacrifices and rituals so they'd go they could run to the senate decide what they needed to do probably sacrifice a few animals um do a few rituals and then look out for some other signs from the birds just to see how how things were going so, <laughs> um, do they like it the birds say they like it it's okay the birds said the birds said we're good we're good we're good now, I probably should, this next part is my favorite little bit, because um, I kind of went into a little bit of the psychology of omens and omen reading and believing in omens. So either I could do that or you could give me a few more omens first, and then I could give you the sort of psychological part of it where I, I speak a Latin phrase. So I love a, uh, a psychological discussion. But I do have one more thing, and I don't I don't want to step on your toes. I'm almost afraid that that it's something maybe you were going to bring up too, um, with the eclipses. No, you go for it. Good, cool. So more than two thousand years ago, the Babylonians were able to calculate thirty eight possible eclipses within a period of two hundred and twenty three months, which is roughly eighteen years and a few months and a couple of days. While not perfect, it showed amazing astronomical knowledge for the time. According to Babylonian scholars, eclipses foretold the death of a king. Mm. If Jupiter was visible during the eclipse, the king would be safe. Um, but other than that, it was pretty much like knowledge that if an eclipse happened, their king was going to die. So they created this 
ritual, the sort of mechanism for um, sort of subverting that fate. So a random person would be chosen to replace the king. Not an official coronation. While placing him on the throne with the scepter dressed as the king, they would recite the the omen. The, this, so everybody knew this is purely so the king doesn't die. The real king would then go into hiding, dress up like an average Joe, maybe hide under a cupboard. <clears throat> if no additional omens were were seen or, or any additional signs shown that this was like that the gods felt tricked or anything like that, they would then kill the substitute king so that they could fulfill the prophecy. And then the real king could hop back up onto his seat. Blimey, that is fucking complicated. It's shitty. It's what it but is. They've got no TV. It <laughs> <laughs> killed a few hours. It's so shitty, though, man. Do you want to hear uh, another shitty thing about an eclipse? Yes. All right. Okay. So people might know about this already, but it's so shitty and it makes me my blood boil. Right. Christopher Columbus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His fucking blood moon. Fuck that guy. Right. So. Christopher Columbus, who I will go on the record as saying I agree is a total asshole, right? Not yeah. going to blame his motley crew, but they were probably pretty shit too. They were probably pretty shitty too, yeah. So, but I'd like to think that a few of them were going, check this guy out, he's a bit of a dick. But anyway, we'll just... <laughs> anyway, they were marooned in Jamaica in 1503, and... The indigenous people were so fucking nice to them. They were so nice. They gave them food. Um, they gave them shelter. And they were just, just like, awesome to them. So good. But after a while, they started to get, like, you know, like, your friend sleeping on your couch just a little bit too long. And he starts to, like, eat your food and, you know, take advantage you're like, dude, get. you need to go get a job and get the fuck out of here, right? So the Jamaicans, very rightfully so, said, I'm sorry, but you guys have been stealing our stuff. You, you've, 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 you've eaten us out of our house and homes. No more. No more. Yeah. But Columbus had with him a book of astronomical tables. And with it, he was able to predict that there was a lunar eclipse coming up. So this isn't a solar eclipse. This is a lunar eclipse. Did I say blood moon? I did say blood moon, right? Yes. Okay. So um, he was able to predict there was going to be a lunar eclipse on February 28th, 1504. So think about they've been there probably about, mm, I think, three months, four months, something like that. He called a meeting with the leader of the indigenous people, the people that had been putting up with their shit and told them that his god, Columbus's god, was angry with him. Unless he treated, sorry, was angry with the the indigenous king. Unless he treated Columbus and his crew better, the moon would rise red as blood. So he was basically telling them, if you don't placate my god, he's going to punish you. Yeah. And of course, the eclipse happened exactly as Columbus predicted um, from his fucking book. And the indigenous people were, were absolutely mortified. And they pleaded with Columbus, like, please restore the moon, bring it back, bring it back. And he said you know like i bet he did some kind of like stupid freaking like dance about or whatever and said bring this bring the moon back and the eclipse passed mm-hmm. and so the indigenous people had no choice at this point to continue supplying them um i don't know how it ended for them but i don't imagine it ended well probably not very well <sighs> what a dick yeah yeah fuck that guy yeah, so, so there's two sides of, you know, that eclipse. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> you, did a, you did a solar eclipse and I did a lunar eclipse for a good. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, no, fuck Columbus. I can't believe he's still celebrated in any way. Yeah. Well, I mean, thankfully every year they would get a little bit more vocal in, in just how shit he was. Yeah. Um. But you know, middle middle-aged white people, they uh they love their hero. So uh, you should have an episode about Christopher Columbus. No, because he pisses me off. <laughs> All right, let's go back to omens. <laughs> let's go back to omens. Do you have any fun like little omens you want to say before I go into some Latin? 
Because I've got a list of, like, just fun one sentences. Oh, one last one. Itchy palms. You know itchy palms? Oh, you know, I've got a really itchy palm one right now. It's got to do with masturbation, doesn't it, Melanie? Does not. It's hairy palms that has to do with masturbation. Oh, okay. Hairy palms is masturbation. Okay, what's, what's itchy palms? If your right palm itches, you will be receiving money unless you scratch it. If your right palm itches so bad that you need to scratch it and you cannot shake it, you can rub it on wood. And that will preserve the fortune coming your way. If oh. your left palm itches, money will be leaving you soon. Fantastic. And scratching won't help that. That's just going to happen. Okay. Well, you know, I think my left hand is itching because I've got a great big horse flyby on it. Please don't take any more money from me. I don't have any money to take. <laughs> I think with horse fly bites, it's sort of like, uh, that, that's just allowed. You're okay. I think you'll be okay. Okay. Thank you. And I think that's that's it. I mean, a bunch of little ones, broken mirrors, and how to uh, uh, reverse that curse. That was really yeah, exciting for me to learn. I never knew how to reverse that curse. No, tell people how to reverse that curse. Okay. So... I've always been terrified whenever I break a mirror. I am not an over, I'm, I'm paranoid, but I'm not overly suspicious. I won't open an umbrella in my house, but if I walk under a ladder, I'm not going to freak. I love black cats, all that stuff. But a broken mirror always sort of like puts me into a state of panic. And as far as I knew, there was nothing you could do about it. But apparently there are a couple things you can do about it. One of the things I've heard is that you turn around three times counterclockwise and in witchcraft, that's actually very, very common is when you do anything counterclockwise, it's called Wittershins. Mm-hmm. And it is a very powerful act. When you sage a place, you do your you do it counterclockwise. You just it's a very powerful act. So that kind of made sense to me in my mind. You some people throw salt over the left shoulder and the face of the devil behind you. Yeah. But the ones that I heard most commonly is to hold the br- mirror, broken mirror under running water or to throw it in a body of water, or to bury it in the earth under the moonlight. How fun. I've got two that aren't even the same. Nice. Right. So I also heard you can touch one of the shards, shirts, onto a tombstone. Oh, yeah, I heard that one too. Yeah. Or you can throw the pieces into a fire and bury them in the pyre. That's right. Yes. Those those are the first two that I heard, and then I I did more research and I found other pieces. Those are the better ones. So Those are the, no, the I like I like I like running it under the taps. So you've like <laughs> <laughs> you've smashed a mirror and you're like ah! you just take one of the pieces and you go into the kitchen and just put it under the tap. Like mm-hmm. it's okay, everything's gonna be fine. It's, we're fine now. We're cool. It's fine. Don't panic. <laughs> I've I've washed it. It's clean. <laughs> okay, I'll Get I'll your Roman. Right before I go into this sort of psychology side of it I just wanted to mention the some the thing that I said at the very very beginning which was that I found out that something I thought was a superstition was actually originated with an omen mm-hmm. and now it's just a superstition so and this superstition was installed into me by my nan so it's very personal to me and I follow this and you know that I don't um I'm I'm not spiritual but I'm um I'm not disrespectful. So if so, yeah. if my nan has told me that um, it's bad luck to do something and such and such, I do follow those things. I've got stones, um, you know, in my car that Melody used suggested to me after my cat died that would help me rid my my sort of self of negative emotions and things. And I decided once I didn't have them need them on me so much, I hung them in my car to help me with road rage. Nice. So. <laughs> You know, even though I don't necessarily believe that it's going to do anything, I also don't believe that it's going to hurt to do it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and with my nan, she always told me to not put new shoes on the table. Yeah. Yeah. Do not put new shoes on the table. It's bad luck to put new shoes on the table. Now, I thought that that was just that's just that's very much a superstition. Put bad, you know, putting bad shoe, new shoes on the table is bad luck. Well, this comes from. Um, when a man died down the mines, his mates would take his shoes to his home and place them on the communal table. So probably you imagine like the kitchen table. And this yeah. was a signal to the family that the man had died and they are kind of ritually returning the boots to the widow. So the shoes on the table relate to forthcoming grief, 
sadness and bad luck. So seeing boots or shoes on the table would have been a very bad omen because Mm -hmm. it meant you were walking into a room in which people were being told that somebody has died. Now, the nothing can be changed here we've got this is this is this is a already occurred event yeah somebody has already died but what hasn't event what hasn't happened for you yet is the grief and the sadness and the terrible feelings that come after the death of a loved one so the boots are foretelling your reaction to an event not the event itself mm-hmm. so it kind of skews this and and and, and walks this line between just being a superstition and being an omen now as placing specifically new shoes on the table this could just be and this is how i've always thought most superstitions started is a more practical um thing that someone's made into a like an old wives tale or a superstition because you wouldn't want to put new shoes on the table because old shoes used to have nails in the bottom of them and if you haven't walked in them yet you haven't you haven't made them flush and, and mm-hmm. um, so they'd still be sticking out a little bit. So you'd ruin your table, put, you know, you would work on your table. <laughs> so you don't want to put new shoes on the table because you're going to scratch up the, you know, the surface of your <laughs> fine woodwork. So th- that's how I've always sort of seen superstition as being like, it, it's come from something practical. Like you said before, I don't walk, you know, I don't, if I walk under a ladder, it's not the end of the world. Well, people believe that's bad luck or to walk under a ladder. And I think, well, yeah, well, it's also good practice. You yeah. don't want to go around walking under ladders because any shit can fall on you. So someone's going to say, don't, don't walk under a ladder. It's bad luck. Well, yeah, but that's practical as well. Don't open an umbrella inside. Also practical. There's not very much room inside and it's rude. You don't yeah, want to be doing yeah. that. So all these sort of superstitions I always sort of felt came from somewhere practical. Mm-hmm. And they always, you know, you can kind of see it, especially with that one. It's it's evolved into being a superstition of, of bad luck of to put new shoes on the table. But really it was because you didn't want to come home and see your husband's shoes sitting on the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's why I feel like the, most of that is relevant. When you walk in and see shoes on the table – especially, you know, a while ago, mm-hmm. um, your first instinct would be have been that someone had died. Yes. Yeah, um, why aren't they wearing their shoes? Yeah. yeah, so if it's new shoes, it's, it's almost just like you're intentionally setting somebody up to be hurt emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder then if it's okay if they're in a box, because I've ju- I just don't do it in general. Yeah. Um, because the it just says the superstition is simply don't put new shoes on the table. But... If you've bought a pair of shoes and you've got it in the box in the bag and you pop it on your table, does that count? They're not actually touching the table. A little bit of a gray I'm going to say it doesn't count because I'll put like bags full of groceries and there might be shoes in there. I'll just throw them on the table. Yeah. I've had a little thing. I just, I err on the side of caution. (laughs) I just put them on the (laughs) chair instead. But for no reason other than to respect the, I guess, my nan. Yeah. She would. She was very polite about it. <laughs> there was no reason for me to to not. I just what that was one I referred to earlier. Yeah, no, I love it. That's great. So the thing I wanted to get into a little bit, where I get to speak a bit of Latin and sound smart again, you know, because <laughs> I like to sound smart, mm-hmm. um, is that the belief in omens relies on the belief in the fallacy. And here's the Latin phrase. <laughs> I'm so excited. Okay. Post hoc ergo proctor hoc. Ooh. Yes. Post hoc ergo proctor hoc, which is my favorite thing to say in the world ever. And I say it all the time. And people listening on my side of the pond will know why. Because last year, <laughs> there was a really, really fucking enthusiastic contestant on a show over here called University Challenge. Yeah. And the, the answer to the question was post hoc ergo proctor hoc. Actually, it wasn't. I think it ended up being wrong. But he was a bit of a like he would get he became a bit of a national meme, and he was shown on all the news shows and stuff because he was so enthusiastic and he was <laughs> so, I guess, nerdy, geeky, and I think some people were making fun of him. But I really liked him because I loved that sort of like enthusiasm in intellectualism, and he yeah. proper started it. it with like the face. He was like post hoc ergo proctor hoc. anyway post hoc ergo proctor hoc basically means this happened after this happened so that first thing must have caused the second thing to happen nice 
Okay, so it's a fallacy. It's a logical fallacy. It's like when you happen to be driving your dad's car when it broke down. Correlation is not causation. Just because things happened in a particular order doesn't mean that the first thing caused the second thing. Okay, correlation is not caused. It also relies on another fallacy of confirmation bias, which is the tendency to to look for, interpret, and favor and recall information in a way that confirms one's pre-existing beliefs and hypothesis. So you are going to, yeah, the effect is stronger for desired outcomes, emotionally charged issues, and for deeply entrenched beliefs. So you're going to look for things that justify how you believe, what you believe in. And it's a confirmation bias. So you're you're going to ignore every time that it doesn't work, but you're going to pay special attention to the times that it does work. And you're going to, and your logical fallacy there also is that you are believing that A, um you know activity a happened and then activity b happened so activity a must have affected activity b but it's not it's a logical policy those things just happen to have happened in that order doesn't mean that they had any kind of correlation with each other so omens beliefs you know superstitions both entrenched two psychological um kind of ideas post hoc ergo proctor hoc and confirmation bias and rest <laughs> and breathe <laughs> <laughs> the defense rests so if you believe in omens i'm not poo-pooing you yeah, yeah. even um seeing signs if you read tea leaves i'm not saying that that you know you're a fortune teller and things like that i'm not trying to i guess in a way i kind of am poo-pooing it a little bit it's human nature to find these sorts of things and I don't think that it hurts people in most instances, but when it's used like Columbus did. Yeah. And it does still get used like that today where people say, I saw a sign and it means this thing, give me money. Yeah. And I'll I'll stop that thing from happening. That's when it becomes, you know, a problem. So just remember sometimes when you're listening to, you know, doomsday predictions and things like that, that they are relying on your, your your sort of innate inbuilt idea that you think that two um events because they happened in chronological order cause one cause the other and also on the idea that you are going to look for signs and be more likely to believe them if it reinforces your belief system so just think about yourself critically when people are telling you things so you don't get ripped off And, and think about who's going to profit from this Yes. You know, because somebody, if somebody's profiting from it, then maybe it's not so much something you should pay attention to. Yeah. Yeah. Something I was going to say is, again, as a pagan, one thing that I really am am into, um, but always have to take with a grain of salt, is the art of um, apatomancy, I believe is what it's called. Apentomancy. Which is just divination by uh, things that are at hand or things that present her, present themselves. Um, most people who practice it don't realize that they're doing it. Um, or if you do do it, then you like put yourself into a meditative state and just like show me a sign about something. Sometimes you don't even have to ask. You just sort of are sitting there meditating and just looking for just signs that things are good or signs that things are bad or or whatever. And you just sort of interpret it as you go. Mm-hmm. And I am a very practical witch, so I don't take everything so super seriously. Um, but I am on these like little witchy groups on the Facebooks and on the interwebs. And God, man, some of these people are so, so serious, so serious. It's like, oh, my mother was obsessed with butterflies, and and every time I think of her, I I, I get swarmed with butterflies and. And I have to, I hate being that guy, but I have to be that guy. Mm. It's like, no, you saw a butterfly and then you started thinking about your mom. Yeah. It wasn't the other way around. It felt like the other way around and it could feel like a sign. And I don't want to tell you that, you know, uh, to not feel that if, if that's making you feel good, I don't want to shoot you down. But at the same time, I think it's so important to recognize what is the the logical course of action? Like what 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 are the the logical um, course of events? You know how they actually happened versus how they just sort of made you feel and just sort of like 
float off with that because I think that detaches you from from so much. Mm. You know, if if it's that easy to detach in that way, then you really start finding it it hard to take anything but signs. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, well, you know, and then also you you go back into the free will versus fate argument because, mm-hmm. you know, if you're living your life looking at signs, you know, you're kind of saying that things are preordained. Yeah. Yeah. And and I don't know. I, I, I don't do the whole God thing. I, I like call it the universe, but I also believe that the universe is just like completely freaking random, but also wouldn't give you anything outside of your own control. For the most part, um, and that's that's so fundamental to being human is just having having so much control. We have so much control um, over where we go, what we do, how we react, how we live our lives, and signs can be great or bad or frightening or whatever. But your reaction to signs is purely emotional for the most part. There's there's no logic when you're reacting to a sign like that. No. So I think it's really important that when you see a sign or an omen. Even if somebody prophesizes something at you and and it seems like it's it's either hugely important or or deeply personal, it's up to you to decide how much that actually dictates your life and how mm-hmm. how it affects you. I can take my signs and I do. I see my signs in everything. I see my signs in the moon and I see my signs in the flowers and when hummingbirds come and talk to me when I'm feeling particularly down or whatever. I I I take those signs and they make me feel good. But I'm not going to sit there and be like that. That is clear proof that you know God has made this connection with me, or that that Gaia has made this connection with me, or that I can speak to hummingbirds because we're one and the same. You know, green assault always with a logical mind. Uh, it's really important. It's so it's easy to get caught up. It's hard for me to sort of balance the idea that somebody. Uh, interpreting naturally occurring um, events with logic um, <laughs> because they're kind of they're kind of you know counterintuitive to each other mm-hmm. so you know I'm not Melanie knows that and I can be very open with Melanie about the fact that I'm very much the opposite of her like I, I believe in instinct and and things like that whereas Melanie can be a little bit more you know fruity with her <laughs> And she, but she's okay with me saying these things. I wouldn't say this to other people, but what I'm saying is it, I find it very difficult for someone to say, I need to be logical about my signs. Like that sentence to me is like a logical yeah. fallacy. I'm a, I'm a weird witch, okay? <laughs> I, I know that. I'm, I'm a very practical witch. And when I take my signs, it's because... It's probably because I'm coming from a, you know, say I'm depressed or whatever, and and I can't seem to pull myself out of it, and suddenly there's a hummingbird that's, like, right up in my face and, mm. and just looking at me, and my heart tells me that it's it's comforting me or or that it, I'm going to be okay. It I take that as a sign because I need to. Yeah, yeah. And you you're not I mean? hurting anyone in doing it. You're only making yourself feel better. So one exactly. possible reason why I have to um, dis, you know, discourage you from doing that. Yeah, yeah. But but I'm not going to sit there and say, like, this hummingbird told me that my life is going to be fine and I need to do this. Like, no, I'm not taking that any more seriously than just my heart was sad and now it feels better. Thank you, hummingbird. <laughs> like, yeah. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. okay so you get to give people that sort of moral of the story i told people to watch out for charlatans but i'll say one more thing and it is to do with interpreting signs but it may be interpreting signs that you don't know that you're seeing so what i'm going to say is don't forget every day to trust your instincts because whether or not you believe that those are signs that you're seeing and you're interpreting those signs as something is good or, or good or good or bad Whereas I would see it as your primate or even your reptilian brain is putting together things that are going on in your environment and creating a feeling to make you act. So, for example, if you look down an alleyway that you've walked down a million times and nothing looks different, but for some reason you've got the feeling I shouldn't walk down that alleyway. I've done it a thousand times, but today I feel uncomfortable. 
don't walk down the alleyway yeah. trust your instinct yeah now if you are melanie and you look down the alleyway and you get that feeling you might look up at the stars and see that the moon is hidden and go the moon is hidden i'm not going to go down the alleyway this evening <laughs> i don't feel mm-hmm. right i don't care that we've interpreted it differently what i care about is that you don't walk down that alleyway trust yeah. those instincts trust those signs if you see signs see signs if you if but honestly the the human brain is so marvelously complex and so wonderfully in tune with things that we cannot consciously comprehend that it can read signs without consciously reading them and and warn your body that and make you feel in a certain way to make you act in a certain way trust those instincts if you get the creepy vibe from someone get the fuck away from them go with your gut yeah go with your gut if you also adversely the other way around if you um suddenly look at some somebody and you think oh they seem really nice you know for the most part you know trust yourself Mm -hmm. but be guarded yeah yeah but I'm just saying like those particularly when it comes to bad things because I think that our body has like I guess in like it's like a spider sense and you know there's lots of um different ways of interpreting it but to me it's it's the instinct and it's a subconscious and you won't ever be able to work out what it was that was different about the alleyway on that particular night because the next night you might go back and it's totally back to normal yeah just trust those instincts guys whether it's an omen because of a lack of moon age or something or if it's just <laughs> actually your instinct it doesn't matter so there's the takeaway from that yep i think we've done i think we've we've done talking i've got like a few more but i mean oh yeah i got a bunch but you know we can always throw them onto our instagram or our facebook or our twitter woohoo nice segue there melanie you're welcome <laughs> yes <laughs> Follow us on the Facebook, on the Instagram, on the Twitter at Zombie Fishbowl Podcast. We'd love to hear your input. Follow us, subscribe to us. We are, as you are probably listening to right now, on Podbean and Spotify. Hopefully iTunes within the next week or so, if we're lucky. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, any suggestions? If you want to throw anything into our random topic picker, please send those to our email, zombiefishbowlpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and everyone who has requested a topic, be assured that I have added it to the list. So if you've texted Melanie or you've put a comment under um, any post or anything like that, we have been able to keep track of them because there aren't many at the moment. And you will get a shout out if we get that. Yeah, we'll shout you out as well. So you are on the list, everyone who's requested, which has been two people. (laughs) (laughs) All two of you. All two of you. All right, um, so random topic picker. Random topic picker, let's go. I got it set up this time, but random topic picker, random topic picker, you're a random topic picker, and you're going to pick a topic. There we go. Bug bodies! Yay, bug buddies! <laughs> that, that is also very close to mummies. I, you know what? I want it. Okay, we'll do bug bodies. Bug bodies. Bodies. I'm happy with that too because when I was doing um, mummies, I accidentally did a bunch of research on bog bodies, so I'm kind of half done already. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Easy week. Easy week. <laughs> no offense, guys. <laughs> we actually do both do a shit ton of research for these things, so you know, and Melanie works and has two children, and I'm in a full time internship, so you know. Yeah. And all my notes are handwritten on, like, big yellow ledger notebooks. And I have, on average, like, eight to ten pages just full of notes. And I maybe use, like, half of them. Yeah, I type up and copy-paste and re-jingle and re-the loads of stuff. And then I have about about 3,000 words, it says in my document at the moment. So, you know, <laughs> we do not use all of it. No. I'm staring at two right now that I really want to say, but um, you guys can go online and Google omens and good luck getting through all of the Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman good omen shit to get to the actual omens. Right. <sighs> well, anything we didn't throw on, we'll try and throw onto our, our social media. Um, eventually, I want to try and get like a YouTube thing going too. So okay. maybe I'll throw something on there. 
maybe where we just read lists <laughs> yeah all right so it's my turn to do a quote if you give me a random like awkward silence after it, i'm just gonna cry okay, okay. i can't okay. handle this anymore this okay. <laughs> it hurts me i'm preparing with my austere um reaction not austere um oh fuck it i can't think of the word uh, just be enthusiastic. fucking enthusiastic yeah, enthusiastic yeah all right so this is an author named uh, Chris Cleave. I believe he is a British author. I've not read any of his books. Not heard of him. Um, but I liked this quote. Okay. They say that in the hour before an earthquake, the clouds hang leaden in the sky. The winds slow to a hot breath, and the birds fall quiet in the trees of the town square. Yes, but these are the same portents that precede lunchtime, frankly. Yes! Oh, so British. Love it. Yes. He's on my side of the equation. He's romantic about shit, but then it's also like, but come on, guys. Be it's real. Sad. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that. It totally reminded me that we should have done Red Skies. Red Skies? You oh, know, yeah, Red yeah, Sky yeah. at night, Sailor's Delight, Red Sky in the morning, um, Shepherd's Warning. Oh, yeah, I had a whole thing about cats. <sighs> I'm going to go look old, it up just for fun. Big old thing about cats, ships, cats, and yeah, whole thing. Yeah, I got to think about bread. <gasps> bread. Yeah. Damn it. I know. Right. Extra. <laughs> Maybe we'll do we'll do like a 20 minute extra or something if we can with, yeah, with okay. ex, extra material. If, if you guys want us to record an extra material of us just shouting omens at each other, then comment, you know, let us know. Be active, let us know. We got 100 followers so far. Let's bump this up to 200. We Come have on, seven now, Melanie. 111 from last time I saw. All right. Oh, Onwards and upwards. Yeah. More. Give us more. I want all of your bodies. I need justification. <laughs> I need positive reinforcement. Love me. Love, Love me. me. What do I was terribly unpopular in high school. <laughs> I'll make you make up for that. Please love me. I've never fully recovered. I've had a rough childhood. Come on, I need you. Anyway. (laughs) That's it for today. So we're gonna say um Ophida Saint Darlings and have a lovely week. And um I'm hoping that the weather here in Britain stays lovely and sunny and I hope that the earth stops quaking over there in sunny and Cali. Ah, gracias. We do not want more earth shaking. I'm done. (laughs) All right, my dears. uh, We will see you next week when we talk about the bog bodies. Yes. Next week we talk about the bog bodies. Why did I just say what you said again? I don't know. That was was weird. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That was weird. I don't know. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Zombie Fishbowl. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.